last week, Christine preached an uh, awesome message um, about David and Goliath. I've never heard a message so deep in its regard. If you haven't heard that sermon, please listen to Christine's sermon on our podcast um, or YouTube or Facebook page. Um, If you have heard it, listen to it again. It's really, really good. Um, And so, Zane, if you could put the chart up, or or Savannah, of one of the things that she highlighted for us in the story of David and Goliath, to recap briefly, is that David was challenged or accused um, regarding his motives, his ability, and his future. And in each instance where whether his brothers or Goliath himself or Saul um, accused him or spoke a lie to him, David responded with a faith-filled response. He wasn't deterred because he knew from the shepherd fields, not the battlefields, how to fight. He got a revelation of who God was in those fields in his young days that what he penned Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's where he learned that. He attributes his success, for instance, in the shepherd fields over the lion and over the bear to the Lord. And it's why he comes to Goliath, the snake, or the representative, or the tool of Satan, full of faith and not fear, knowing that God was capable and for his people. Amen? And so David knew that whatever was thrown at him by Satan to deter God's anointed one and not yet king, that he would trust in the Lord and encounter victory. Well, upon David's victory, Saul, the anti-anointed, or first antichrist, as Christine explained it. I thought that was really cool and sad, but um, (laughs) sad part of the story. Um, He hired David on to be the full-time, in full-time service, and David had a two-fold role um, in Saul's, uh, in Saul's palace. One was to play the liar for Saul to soothe Saul's tortured heart. Saul, at this point, is even demonized, it says. And do you know that David uh, was not just a king to be, but he was a prophet? The scriptures say that he was a prophet. And as a prophet, David would play the liar. And actually, Saul would be delivered of a spirit of insanity. And I just believe that the Lord is saying that you are God's anointed ones. And that the enemy is going to try to come at you because you're his anointed ones. But the Lord will protect you, and you will deliver many from the snare. And so it was true for David. In fact, Saul, as he grew in his jealousy and his fear of David, even tried to kill David directly as he played for him. Multiple times he threw a spear at David under demonic oppression and the Lord protected David. And so um, there was another way in which uh, David worked for Saul. He, was, he led his uh, military campaigns, some of his military campaigns against the Philistines. 
And David's relationship was growing with Saul's son, Jonathan. And in weeks to come, we'll learn about that relationship in particular and its significance for us today. Um, But also, Michal, who is Saul's daughter, falls in love with David. And so Saul uh, comes up with another scheme to try to kill David in his pursuit of him in jealousy and fear. And it is that he will put David on the front lines of a battle against the Philistines and that they and that he will have to as dowry for McCall's hand in marriage um, come back with a hundred Philistine foreskins. Ouch and gross. David comes back with double the dowry. Really gross. (laughs) And wins McCall's hand in marriage. So I'm actually going to jump, uh, I'm going to jump forward about 20 years. I feel, uh, I felt in my spirit to, um, to teach this message on a story of McCall and David about 20 years later. And it's really a part two to my sermon on Vision Sunday. It's in this uh, context of the same time in David's reign, and it's really building on that uh, sermon. It's, it's, it's building on the foundation of that. And so David is, 20 years later, the king, and the Ark of the Covenant, he's having returned to Jerusalem. And um, Mind you, it has been gone, and, and by the way, next week we'll, re, we'll resume in 1 Samuel 19 in chronological order. But mind you, the ark has been gone for about the t- full 20 years of Saul's reign. And David wants to bring back the ark. Remember, the, the manifest presence of God is upon the ark, because that's what God desired, and that's what he did. And so David is basically saying, I want to bring God's presence back. If you remember, I, ta- I preached a sermon from Psalm 132 about that. And he's bringing the ark back. However, David um, took a page out of Saul's notes and trusted in his own strength first. And what he did in trying to bring the ark back was rather than going to the instructions to Moses on how the Levites were to carry the ark on poles, um, rather than inquiring of the Lord freshly and saying, Lord, how would you have us to do this? We believe this pleases your heart. We know you want to be the center of your people again. How would you have us to, to usher you back into the center city? Um, he instead has it brought back on a cart, guided by non-Levites, Ahio, which means brotherly, and Uzzah, which means strength. So catch the meanings in those names. And as the ark on the journey tips over and Uzzah tries to save it, the Lord's anger burns against Uzzah and Uzzah dies. And David learns an important leadership lesson. We have a lot of leaders in this room. This is a leadership sermon. (laughs) He He learns an important leadership lesson not to trust in his own strength or good ideas, but instead to seek the word of the Lord, to wait on the word of the Lord, and to do what he says to do. Well, we'll see as we pick up in this passage, 2 Samuel 6, verses 16 to 23. It's on the screen behind me. You can turn to it on your device. um, That David heeds uh, this correction from the Lord in this passage. It's where our story picks up of McCall and David. If you would stand in honor of God's word.
Let's read these verses aloud together now. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king has distinguished himself today, doing around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right, well, three weeks ago on Vision Sunday, I preached the sermon um, from the same time period from Psalm 132 where David is bringing back God's presence to the center of his people. He captures something of God's heart, which is his greatest desire to dwell among his people forever. And so, on earth. And so, he brings back the ark now, and he's celebrating before the Lord. Do you remember from a few weeks ago that he would pay skilled musicians and singers, and from that point on, they would, he would uh, put the ark in the tabernacle of David, that they would gather around 33 years, 24-7, day and night, patterned after heaven, God's heart from heaven to Eden to the new Jerusalem in the days ahead, right, is that he dwells on earth with his people forever, and David captured this. And God was pleased. In fact, I pointed out three weeks ago that this is a prototype for the New Testament church, for the scriptures say that in the last days, I'm rebuilding the tabernacle of David. And so he has, with his leadership, come into alignment with God by creating conditions for what God wants most. He's used his leadership to serve the Lord. And this is the context for this passage, and a kind of part two to my last sermon on Vision Sunday. So, when I was about 20 years old, I went to a friend's church, and his mom was dancing wildly before the Lord, rejoicing, jumping up and down, 
going wild. I remember coming back, you know, to lunch after church that Sunday and with another friend just like laughing at her and thinking like how crazy she was. I had no connection to this. I was just like, you know, I attributed it to her personality, weirdness, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, years later, and, and many of you know this about me, and, and I've talked about this before, but years later, I would be set free. I'd be healed of a broken heart. I'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in something of the fullness of my calling. And in time began to dance and jump and rejoice in who the Lord is and what he's done in my life to rescue me and what he's done to set my feet upon a rock. And what I used to attribute with laughter and ridicule to Bonnie's wild personality, I now recognize is something of rejoicing in a story that only God could have written for her life. You see, she was in touch with the gratitude that she should have rightfully, right? For what only God could have done to set her free. And while she was watching God, I was so spiritually dull to even recognize his presence in the room. I couldn't even recognize or perceive that God was in our midst. And I would therefore watch her while she watched God. I would watch her while she watched God and danced before the Lord. And I think you know where I'm going here. McCall is watching David. And I would propose to you that what we meditate on reveals what's in our hearts and determines our health accordingly. What you meditate on with your eyes reveals what's already in your heart and affects your health accordingly, simultaneously. And so, McCall does not recognize the presence of God or just doesn't value what this means for the people Israel, even if she does. As the presence, the manifest presence of God is returning to be center among the people, she does not recognize the, value, the, uh, the security, the victory, the unity that his presence would bring. Instead, she is disgusted and accusatory of David for being half naked. Meanwhile, we know from elsewhere in Scripture, he's wearing the priestly robes under the priestly apron, not just the priestly apron or ephod. Um, also, she is disgusted with his dancing, believing this to be beneath him as a king, right? And so culturally, we can understand this. Like, it's weird. What David's doing is weird. Like, even wearing the priestly thing, it's like, you're the king. You're not a Levite, you know? So, like, I can acknowledge that much, right? It's like, what's going on here? Well, something really deep is going on. And, um, you know, it's interesting, like, it shouldn't be surprising to us that McCall is not identifying with what's going on because she's grown up with Saul as her dad. And as with the story of Goliath and David, we saw that though the people wanted a king, like other nations, to fight their battles, she watched as her dad lived in fear of Goliath instead of fighting. She also would have known, probably, that, you know, her dad went ahead and directly disobeyed God by responding in the fear of the people and their panic 
by sacrificing an animal before God said to. You know, thirdly, Saul and his attempt to get at David in manipulation and fear and control would actually give McCall's hand in marriage to another man after she was already married to David while Saul was on the run, or excuse me, while David was on the run from Saul. So from what McCall was born into to what she would see her dad model to what he did to her, she would know firsthand of what it was to fear man and never see or encounter for herself what it is to fear the Lord. And so instead of partnering with God's anointed to follow God's leadership of God's people, she denies him. Listen, we need to be careful that we don't meditate in the fear of man on what people think of us or care about rather than meditating on Jesus in his active leadership. This isn't hard to understand, right, that we can't follow Jesus if we're not watching him where he's going. <laughs> because we're not just growing in Jesus as we meditate on him in worship and prayer and in community and in the word. We're going somewhere as followers of Jesus because he's active in his leadership. He's alive and he's, he's going somewhere. <laughs> and so it's vital that we fix our eyes on him in the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm going to talk with us this morning about how we don't do that by, like, just trying harder or <laughs> changing our behavior, right? We need the gospel in an ongoing way in order to walk in that as a listening community of desire. But he's taking us somewhere. And David, on the other hand, exhibits the fear of the Lord, right? David exhibits the fear of the Lord, and I have belabored the point, right, that he's bringing God's presence back. He's, he's drawing near to God, bringing the ark back to the center of his people to worship among him. But something way deeper is going on here, too. David has taken off his kingly garments, and he's put on his priest, these priestly garments. I said it. He's not a Levite. He's from the tribe of Judah. And so it doesn't make sense on two fronts. He's not a Levite. And he's the king, not a priest. So what is he doing? He is repenting and reinstituting God as king. <laughs> he is repenting. This is why he was a man after God's own heart. Yes, because he wanted uh, to worship God day and night and for God to be present among his people. But more than that, he wanted to be submitted to his leadership. He was submitted to his kingship, his lordship. He said, Lord, we don't need me as king and my best ideas. We want you as king. And he was repenting and bringing reform as a king. And the reform, just like every other king thereafter, there were seven of them who prioritized God's presence that brought blessing and prosperity and peace and unity and security to the people of God. Only when they made his presence primary. Only when they said, you are king, and in a sense, I'm not. Right? And this is why God trusted David with leadership. He said, I entrust you, David, to lead for the sake of my people Israel. Why? 
Because God, David would enthrone God. David would enthrone God and say, You, Lord, are king of kings, and I will lead by following you. How many of you know that's the best true spiritual leadership? Is what Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, follow me in as much as I follow Christ. Like, if I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. <laughs> follow me as I, if I, as long as I follow Christ. Jesus is the King of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. David was a king. You and I are a royal priesthood. <laughs> but Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And until or unless we submit to his leadership, not just for salvation, but for our sanctification, that is our journey of becoming more like him that uh, Vanessa just spoke to so beautifully, unless we submit on an ongoing basis in community, in mutual submission to one another, under the, word, the authority of the word of God, we will become spiritually sick, spiritually barren. Right? And we see this embodied by McCall. It's when we surrender to his lordship, right, that we experience the life and liberty that is found in him. It's actually through enthroning him on our hearts, saying, Lord, I'm done doing it my way. I'm not going to try harder. I'm not going to promise and do better. Remember when Jesus said, like, don't make promises and oaths. He's like, I don't trust that. He's like, only God doesn't lie. <laughs> and it's because he doesn't trust in our ability. It's not, it's not just a character. It's not a character thing only. It's, it's our ability. Like, only the power of the gospel can set us free and make us remain a new wineskin to carry new wine. And unless we stay in touch in following Jesus and fixing our eyes on him, meditating on him, we'll start to say the old wineskin is better. That's a warning. This McCall thing, we're not spirit, I'm not moralizing David and, say, and vilifying McCall. I'm warning us about McCall and what happened here. That in order for us, I'm not talking about losing our salvation, right? We, we, our salvation's assured. <laughs> I'm talking about our journey with Jesus and staying, keeping our lamps burning, right? <laughs> I'm talking about keeping our lamps burning. It's what David caught and Jesus taught a thousand years later. And so it's interesting that in the context of David's tabernacle, after David would prophetically, in, 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 in an embodied kind of way here in this passage, submit to the Lord as king, that they would actually, in worship and prayer, get a revelation of Jesus, not just as Messiah, but as king. How many of you know, when you submit in faith to what's true about God, He will give you more and more revelation about that truth? So consider this. They are worshiping the Lord, and David gets this revelation. If you could put Psalm 2 on the screen. The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. 
The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. David is referring to the Father speaking of Jesus. <laughs> in this passage, a thousand years before Jesus would come to earth, David had a revelation of him as king, and I encourage you, meditate on that whole chapter, Psalm 2. Um, if you can go to the next. This is the sons of Korah in the tabernacle of David getting this revelation of, it's called a messianic psalm. So it's a psalm about Jesus Christ himself. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Listen to this. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. They're not talking about King Solomon. They're not talking about King David. <laughs> they have a revelation of Jesus Christ as king. So this is what happens when you enthrone, when you reform, when you repent, when you reinstitute God as king, as the people of God today. Let's, let's bring this to the present day, right? As the church of Jesus Christ. When we make his presence primary, and when we worship and seek his face and say, your presence will be primary among us, we get these revelations of who he is. And unto and until, as I said on Vision Sunday, unto and until his return, we're keeping our lamps burning that way. This is what it is to have ready hearts, to have prepared hearts in these last days. And so, when we enthrone God upon our hearts and upon our praises, then his government or his kingdom increases in the earth. Where we enthrone him, his government increases. This is why God's into the spirit of 24-7 prayer. Because he's interested in the continuing increase of his kingdom. And he doesn't mind its acceleration either. <laughs> Jesus was also the ultimate king on the earth, you know, because he made the best follower. So not only is Jesus king because he's God. <laughs> but also, he was a better David and a better king because he was the perfect follower. Do you remember on earth? Like, he's only a worthy sacrifice. Why? Because he fulfilled the law as a man tempted in every way, yet without sin. Like, he followed the Father's will and was submitted to it entirely, <laughs> without fail. The best spiritual leaders are the best followers of God. The best spiritual leaders are the best followers of God. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. His eyes were fixed. He said, the eye of, that your eye is a lamp to your body. If your eye is light, your whole body is light. But if your eye is dark, how dark is your body. In other words, your, your condition, your soul condition. And so, 
This again, brothers and sisters, is a warning to us. So many of us in this room are leaders. And the best leadership, again, is following Jesus. And the way we do that is fixing our eyes on him. Like Jesus said, I only do what I saw the Father, what I see the Father doing. Meditating on him getting a revelation of him, and that we are established, victorious, secure, and unified when we keep our eyes fixed on him. And by, and by being the best followers so as to be the best leaders, what that means is that you're blessed to be a blessing, right? It means now God can entrust you with leading more people, and they can trust in you as you follow Christ and rest Secured and in the victory and blessing of Christ too, right? That's what leadership is. We can, make, we can make following Jesus complicated. Sometimes it's hard, but it's not complicated. <laughs> you know the difference? Like even in trials and tribulations, that, that's hard. We can fix our eyes on Jesus. We sang about that this morning that we can fix our eyes on Jesus. And sometimes we need community. We need the word. We need prayer environments to do that. But we could fix our eyes on him, rejoicing in him, receiving him, and loving him. For if Jesus is the king, then we are a royal priesthood of believers. And this means we love the Lord our God first. You know the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Guys, the outflow of that is loving hell and fear out of other people and bringing others into the family of Christ. And so the more we grow as worshipers in spirit and truth, the more everything else catches on fire. Evangelism, teaching, the pastoral ministry, apostolic, prophetic, everything burns. Everything burns. Everything burns as we remain in Jesus in worship in prayer. I didn't plan on snapping my fingers. That's what happened. I'm reminded of a dream. Uh, it was a very short dream. I was in a theatrical production, and a father in the worship movement was the main character in this dream. So that was context for me, that this was something about worship. And um, a friend in the dream, you guys know uh, David Smock, that's who said it to me, but the friend in the dream, David, he said, hey, he said, so do me a favor, grab your rehearsal book and love him. Do me a favor, grab your rehearsal book and love him. And it was just this call of the Lord about loving Jesus through worship, right? And that this is the rehearsal, right? We'll do this forever. But again, unto and until his return, how we stay burning is through worship and prayer. It's through worship and prayer because it's in that place and from that place of loving him that we do what he says and advance his kingdom. But Jake, if you can come and play. Like I said, this is what David caught and Jesus taught a thousand years later to keep your lamps burning the more we love him by ministering to him as a priesthood of believers the more revelation we get of our security victory and unity the more revelation we get of his beauty his majesty and his goodness and the more people are drawn to him in us as we manifest his glory
You know, we were seeing his love endures forever. The, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And that really re seemed to resonate with the room. And we stayed on that for a little bit this morning. And in that, I'm just reminded that every time God's glory would fall, that the response was, the Lord is good. <laughs> and his love endures forever. There was this revelation of his goodness and his love that came from his glory. And so, I'm just reminded this morning of the importance of his glory and his presence and the kind of leadership that David would lead with through submission to God. So as I close, consider this last part, that David dances with joy, and he goes on to bless the people, right? He blesses the Lord, he rejoices in the Lord, he thanks the Lord for making him king, and he gives, basically he's saying, and I give it back to you. What a lesson to us in that, right? Lord, thank you for what you've given me, but all things are from you, all things are through you, and all things are to you, and so I give it back to you. You're a better king anyway. So to whatever measure you've raised me up and given me spiritual authority, <laughs> I come under submission to you and your word so as to actually lead effectively and not in name only. Right? <laughs> he comes back to McCall after blessing the people. And by the way, many translations say he blessed them with bread and wine. Very priestly. <laughs> Not very kingish. Is that a word? Very priestly. He blesses them with bread and wine. What is, he, what is he signifying here, right? The Lord is our portion. The Lord is our cup. The Lord is our provider. The Lord is our all in all. And so he comes back to McCall to also bless the family. And she rejects the blessing and receives a curse. And again, I'll close with the warning in that for us is to keep receiving the new wine that God has for us. But you know how we do that is through surrender, because it's only through surrender that we remain or become a new wine skin. And the New Testament church is supposed to remain a new wine skin because it has to do with dynamic, active followership of Jesus. And so it means sometimes change. It means sometimes submitting to the Lord something that's hard. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus, just like David, was the anointed one, is the anointed one who religious and political leaders rejected as king, rejected as anointed one, and they said, the old wineskin's better. The old wineskin, Jesus told them, you say the old wineskin's better. <laughs> But the reality is, guys, whatever Jesus asks of us to surrender in order to become or remain the new wineskin, it is utterly worth it because the new wineskin is better. And why is the new wineskin better? But to be able to carry new wine, to actually be in alignment with what God's doing right now, right? Like we don't want to play church. It's a miserable thing to sit on a fence right? <laughs> like, we want to remain or become a new wineskin in a dynamic, active followership of Jesus.
that we would continue to carry new wine, the actual presence and power of the Holy Spirit following Jesus and what he's up to unto the salvation of others, the return of Christ, right? And so I just encourage us that as we journey together, would we grow and go in the power of the Spirit, in the power of the gospel as followers of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.